Hi there. Thanks so much for joining me. In this recording, I'm going to spend some time looking at Sutra 115. So chapter one, Sutra 15 of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. And in this one, I'll read the Sanskrit for you. Drishta Anushravika Vishaya Vitrishnasya Vashikara Sabnya Vairagyam. And so this translates um, to mean something along the lines of dispassion is the controlled consciousness of someone that is without craving for sense objects. So whether these are perceived objects or whether they're described. Um, and in particular, that last segment in terms of objects that are described, it's in reference to whatever's described in scripture. So the previous recordings leading up to this one, we've actually been talking a lot about chitta and mind. And in the immediate sutras before this one, Patanjali said, well, folks, we need two things to achieve a clear state of mind. And one of them is abhyasa, practice, and then the other one is vaidagyam, which is dispassion. So here we're actually going to have a more in-depth discourse around um, this concept of vaidagyam. If we look at it on a very basic level, we're essentially um, considering this to mean the absence of desire or craving for any objects. I think keeping it simple to start with is probably going to be the most useful. So one that's easy for all of us to understand when we're talking about this idea of dispassion perhaps is in relation to, say, food. So for many of us, there are, we experience a lot of desires and cravings around food. There's one story in particular that comes to mind. Um, I have a friend of mine who is lactose intolerant and um, he's been diagnosed with that for a long time. And recently he was also struggling with a mild gastroinfection. And we happened to catch up this one day and he told me that he wasn't feeling well and then he... Um, he turned to me and said, well, you know, uh, do you want an ice cream? And I was like, oh, no, no, you know, like I'm good. And he reached into the fridge and pulled out an ice cream and it wasn't a lactose-free ice cream. Like it was a full-blown, creamy, milky ice cream. And I couldn't help myself. I actually said to him, you haven't been well. You've, you know, you've got some inflammation in your gut and you know you're um, body doesn't respond well to dairy. So do you think that's a good idea? It's probably going to make you feel a whole lot worse and cause a lot more inflammation. And his response 
to that was I've been thinking about this ice cream all day. (laughs) And so um, he then proceeded to inhale the ice cream and then felt deathly sick afterwards (laughs) and for days afterwards also. Um, So... This is a very good example of how rajas and tamas dominate us and drive many of our actions. And I think that for the most part, it is, it is a real challenge to um, tackle this vairagyam, this um, desire um, and, and, and dispassion. We can look at it from a flip side and say, well, when we can cultivate vaidagyam, when we, when we can cultivate a sense of dispassion and we, in, in doing that, come from a more sattvic state of mind, so a much more steady, stable, clear state of mind, then the choices that we make are ones that are are better for us or going to move us towards more balance. And I'll now give you an example of that. So um, I'm very fortunate in that food isn't something that I have an extremely difficult time with as far as cravings and um, cultivating any discipline around food. Uh, I grew up in fairly, fairly strict guidelines um, around food and food habits. So for me, it's very easy to have a lot of sugar around, chocolate around, junk food around and not feel the need to indulge in it at all. So um, I struggle with other things, but food's not one of them. So I have a fresh veggie juice every day. And if someone else happens to be around, I'll usually just automatically make a second glass of it. Now I normally put, you know, very green things in there. So kale and spinach and beetroot and other veggies. So often when I hand the glass to a friend or someone who might be visiting, um, The reaction isn't always one that's positive, you know, that some people drink the juice, you know, only partway and then kind of go, well, I'm done with that. No more for me. Thanks. And when I question them on it, you know, the answer is usually like, oh, you know, it tastes really bitter or it tastes a bit like dirt or it just doesn't taste that good. And always being mindful not to offend, but you know, I usually try and say something like sometimes we can drink stuff and eat stuff because we know it's good for us, because we know it's going to benefit us, um, not necessarily just because it tastes good. We don't always have to come from this place of giving in to the senses and what the senses and the mind wants. And I think that if we really look at this, this is the probably the crux of this concept of vairagyam or dispassion in that the mind will want what the mind wants and it's not always going to be 
the best thing for us or what we need. And when we look at the current situation, just even in terms of diabetes and, you know, a lot of the heart conditions and other metabolic issues that we're seeing now, it is very much linked to this lack of vidagium, lack of dispassion. So we're not cultivating this, generally speaking. I think also because if you look at our culture, if you reflect on how we're um, moving around through our current Western societies in particular, everything is about consumerism and everything is about, you know, having access to whatever you want, whenever you want. It's right there. Instant gratification, instant results. If you want something, go get it. And never before has it been so easy to for, to fulfill all of your desires. You know, I mean, even just in terms of entertainment and communicating and access to information, it's all at our fingertips now. So I actually really believe that this, this is just huge issue for us to even start to understand, let alone to start to tackle. So I've given you the example of food, but this translates to absolutely every aspect of our lives. It translates into the types of relationships we have um, to our, our career and work and um, time and, you know, everything, everything you could possibly think of, every aspect of your life is affected by this um, craving or desire. The argument could be put forward that without developing this vaidagyam, this dispassion, then success in certainly in yoga is going to be very limited. But success in almost anything is going to be limited. And I'll explain to you why. The nature of succeeding um, at anything worth having is going to require effort and it's going to require moving past uh, points that feel uncomfortable, where you're going to feel challenged, where you, you might feel um, out of your depth where you might feel at times hopeless, where you might feel at times incapable. And if you can cultivate vaidagyam, if you can cultivate a sense of dispassion, then you can look at it and say, okay, this isn't necessarily something I desire or crave to be in right now. But similar to the veggie juice, I know that it's good for me in that it will move me closer to 
X, Y, and Z. It will move me closer to a healthy body. It'll move me closer to a calm state of mind. It'll move me closer to my goal of my dream job. It'll move me closer to having a more fulfilling relationship, right? So the mind wants what the mind wants and it's not always what we need. And so practice and vaidagyam, the two things that potentially presents to us at this point, both are very important. Now, um, also interesting to note is that the more we give in to desires, the more desires will start to take a hold of us. So sometimes students and even teachers have put forward this argument that, you know, we, we shouldn't crave anything or we shouldn't grasp for anything. And then there's usually this reply of, well, then how are we meant to um, live in the current society that we live in? You know, what about having a stable home and providing stability for children and partners and all the rest of it? So all of that that comes into play. And to that, I think we need to be very realistic. And here's, here's the thing. When we're looking at finding more equanimity, when we're looking to find a more stable, clear state of mind, it's important that we question what's in control. Am I in control or is the object in control? So if you can't think about anything other than that object, that thing. Now, remember, it's not just a material object. It could be a scenario. So for example, it could be that um, dream holiday. It could be that dream partner. It could be that dream job. If you're holding on to that so tightly that it is occupying so much of your space in, in terms of your mind and creating um, a lot of friction on a mental level, then the argument could be put forward that the object is in control of you. You are actually not in control of you or the object at that time. So just spend some time thinking about that because this is something that a lot of teachers that have come before us have actually put forward as, as an argument and it's good for us to reflect on this again and again. So are there things in your life that tend to dominate your headspace and dominate where your mind spends a lot of time? Usually when something's true for us, meaning when when something is rightfully ours to manifest um, we can look at it and say it would be really nice for this to happen because I, I feel as though this is the right thing for me whatever it is 
I will put in the effort necessary to get me there. Now that effort necessary, <laughs> you know, it, that's that's the part you need to question. What is the effort necessary to get me there? So let's just say for argument's sake, you want your, your dream um, your dream job, whatever that is. What is necessary to get you there? What studies or what amount of experience do you need? What connections do you need? What contacts do you need in order to get you there? What skills do you need? Qualities do you need to cultivate? Right, so just asking yourself and then you have desire, you have an understanding of effort required to fulfill that desire. Then you undertake action in order to get you to where you would like to go. But then there's also this element of, okay, now I can be at peace knowing that if this is meant to be mine, it will happen, it will eventuate. So what most of us tend to do is we hold on to it so tightly that we try and and um, control every single scenario in relation to that desire. So we try and we stress about things and we try and we, we overthink things and we manipulate situations and there is so much grasping and so much desire for this scenario, for this job, that every action now that we're taking is not coming from a place of sattva. It's not coming from a place of clarity. It's not coming from a place of stillness of the mind. It's not coming from a place of sound judgment. And usually what happens is because we're coming from that place, the fruits that that action will bear will always be compromised. See, that's a very different place to come from than being acknowledging what it is you'd like, putting in the effort required, and then saying, okay, now whatever will be, will be, and I'll leave this up to the universal powers at hand, that it will manifest if it's true to be mine. If this is rightfully mine, if this is meant to eventuate, it will, it will unfold exactly as it's meant to. Now, the first example cultivates more anxiety, more depression, and also I would argue uh, will destroy a lot of connections and relationships. And the second attitude will cultivate a very deep sense of stability. It will cultivate a steadfastness in your path. It will cultivate more clarity and a sense of peace that you are on a path that you've chosen to take, that you've taken the effort required and that you can actually now sit back and enjoy the ride. And that is literally the, where you're trying to shift your focus in terms of practicing this principle of vaidagyam. Um, just as a side note, 
one of the commentators, Vyasa, actually talks about this idea of overly rejecting an object. And he, he actually says that this can, um, this can really uh, denote a very deep hidden attachment to something. It can show in a rejecting of the object. But really what you deeply want is that object. So, for example, mm, let me see. What would be a good example of this? Perhaps someone that um, speaks excessively about... um, materialistic things and you often hear that there is in particular in in yoga kind of circles this real attitude around or difficulty around um, material stuff or things and financial stability and so this whole thing of I have to reject any sort of financial stability, I have to reject material things, I have to push them away because um, that's just, that's, that's, it's bad, it's not good. And when we look at um, the teachers before us, all of them actually say, no, this is, this is not the way. This is not how this is not how it's done, because that will actually only manifest or, or hide or mask that desire for stability. That instead we should say, well, this is what I've chosen to do, and whatever will manifest from this is rightfully mine, because it's naturally come about from my labor. These are the fruits of my labor. And then we can choose to use that in a very intelligent way. It's important we start to understand this because these are are very common issues that come up in yoga. You know, and even people that say, oh, well, you should you even, you know, is it right to even charge for something like yoga, yoga classes? And a lot of new teachers struggle with this concept as well. And I can understand that. And there's a lot of discussion around, you know, what should you charge? And, and I, many of you have heard me say when I first started teaching, for the first few years of my teaching, I didn't charge much of anything, if anything at all, and taught a lot of classes for almost nothing, maybe $10 um, and that's not $10 each person, that's $10 for the class, um, for the entire class. And then over time, um, as my experience increased, as my knowledge increased, I felt more and more comfortable. And as I invested more and more time and energy into my own learning so that I could better support my students, then I felt warranted in charging more for the sessions, whatever sessions I was holding with my students. And so this is the other thing you need to understand. As long as the exchange is, it feels equal on both ends, it feels fair on both ends. And sometimes, even now, 
there are situations in which I will do classes for nothing, for free, um, because it feels right. It feels fair for whatever reason. Um, but I think this is really what it comes down to is that we need to be understanding what the intention is. Is this coming from a place of attachment and desire for something very particular? Or am I able to approach this from a more sattvic state of mind, a more stable state of mind, knowing that this is going to be good for someone else, knowing that this is going to be good for me, knowing that this is going to be good for relationships, connections. See, the list goes on and on. It's not always black and white. Vasikara, the word, the Sanskrit word, actually means um, to have control over. So just in regards to this sutra, you might want to ask yourself, you know, are you in control or is the object in control when you're dealing with um, different things that come up for you? Social media is one you might want to need to reflect on. I always encourage everyone reflect on this because it absolutely has an impact on our state of mind and how we see ourselves and the world around us. We are bombarded with images constantly that play into our deep desires. Marketing is essentially centered around our deep emotional desires. So understanding this and understanding how these images that we're constantly bombarded with influence our state is crucial. And if you haven't had a detox from social media, I I can't highly recommend it enough, honestly. Take a week off social. Shut down the Instagram, shut down the Facebook, shut down the um anything else you've got, Snapchat, all of it. And just see what happens. See perhaps initially the anxiety that comes up around missing out and then see what comes up in terms of how you feel at the end of that period of time. It's really, really important. Real detachment is characterised by a sense of um, indifference. So, you know, if it, if it comes about, great. And if it doesn't, it wasn't meant to be. Some people say, you know, okay, this, you know, concept of dispassion, I need to cultivate more of it if I want to gain some success in yoga and just generally in life. Um, I'll remove myself and I've just suggested you remove yourself from social media. But you need to understand this isn't true vaidagyam. This is essential for some of us. If something has a very strong hold on you, alcohol, drugs, sugar, if it has a strong hold on you, a period of time where you extract it from your life is a very good idea because it will create a little bit of space between you and the object. It will also allow you to see how it's influencing and impacting your life. So that's first and foremost. Then from there, working with having it in your life 
but really understanding on a much deeper level that you can exert this vaidagyam, that you can actually cultivate this sense of dispassion towards that object, whatever it is. Now, remember, we've talked about this before. In Sanskrit, whatever's mentioned first has priority. So Patanjali has given us these two concepts of abhyasa practice and vairagyam, dispassion, and he's given us practice first. And it's for a very good reason. I think that the practice can actually help us cultivate more vairagyam. It can help us to cultivate more equanimity, to not really be at the whim of the mind and all of the desires. So that we can exist with all sorts of objects and we're not grasping at and we're not pushing away. Further in the commentary in relation to this sutra, there's a really cute little story um, about a sage and he really desires some of these higher yogic states. And so he says, okay, that's it. I'm going to remove myself from all distractions. I'm going to take myself underwater and I'm going to meditate underwater. And something interesting happened in this story to this little sage. He uh, one day opened his eyes, he was underwater, and he saw two fish mating. And this actually activated a latent erotic samskara in his mind. And at that very moment, he became so overwhelmed with fantasies of sexual enjoyment that he totally abandoned his meditation and he returned to the world of just living a the life of a householder and one who enjoys worldly things. So you know this this is a it's a good example. It's a good example that you know samskaras, memories, experiences, they can't be removed. And look, there will be you will see discourse where it's that that's argued. But for the most part, we need to accept and acknowledge the fact that these memories that we have, they, they stay in, in our mind, latent, and then they're triggered by something and then we fall into the rabbit hole. You know, think about it. You might be going about your usual daily routine and then all of a sudden see some advertisement for coffee <laughs> and then before you know it you're at, you're at the local cafe ordering wheat cappuccino <laughs> um i'm onto the wheat cappuccinos lately i'm trying to cut the caffeine right out so i'm only one coffee a day i've only ever really been one coffee a day and um now it's only half a shot of coffee so and I go through phases where I do eliminate it, but it is something that I find perhaps a challenge. I need to cultivate more vaidagyam around my caffeine. <laughs> but a good reflection for you to do is where are your little desires? Where do you find yourself craving? And think beyond food, please. 
beyond food and drink. There are so many deep-seated desires that many of us struggle with and experience in life. So having more awareness around them is a very good thing for us. It'll help a lot. As always, I hope you found that helpful. And if you want to get in touch, you know where to find me, um, www.yogaemotion.com.au. You can leave a comment. You can shoot me through an email. Those of you who are coming along to the immersion at the end of this month, um, this is a good one for you to reflect on just in terms of your teaching and your yoga journey in terms of being a teacher because especially when we're early on, there is a lot of craving around wanting to be appro- uh, approved by students wanting to have certain types of reactions from others in relation to our teaching. And so I want you to do some reflecting on this, please. What sort of relationship do you have to your students and your teaching? And let's see if we can come at it with a slightly more equanimous state of mind. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you on the mat real soon. In the meantime, take care. Bye for now.